there's a reason for addiction. Addiction is just like medication for unhealed pain. And sex addiction is real, even though a lot of people don't believe it is. And so I wanted to make a film that says this is a real addiction. And that doesn't just focus on the depraved aspects of the addiction, which is what we've seen from a lot of other films and TV shows that I all love. I want, But I wanted to make something different. I wanted to make something more compassionate, more nuanced, that centered the experience of an Asian woman. Welcome to Bitch Talk. I'm your host, Erin, here with my co-host, Ange, aka Captain Party. And over the last 10 years, we've been elevating marginalized voices through interviews and events. Sometimes over a glass of whiskey. If you're thirsty for more bitches, head over to bitchtalkpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. A big thank you to 48 Hills and our listeners for voting us Best of the Bay Best Podcast in 2022 and 2023. And now, on with the show. Welcome to our Sundance and Slamdance coverage. Today we're highlighting Sundance narrative shorts, Thirsty Girl, and Boy DeConscious. As usual, we will be joined by our honorary festival bitch, John Wildman. Enjoy! Here we are on Bitch Talk and FilmsGoneWild.com. My name is John Wildman. I'm the editor-in-chief of Films Gone Wild. With me is Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim from Bitch Talk. And on this segment, we're going to talk about the Sundance short, Boy Conscious. We have with us the director, Daniel Barossa. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. So, Daniel, we, we always start the um, show by having our filmmaker introduce our audience to the film. They haven't seen it as yet, so tell us about Boy Conscious. Okay, yeah, Boyu Conscious is this short film. It was shot in Brazil, in this small town in the coast of near Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's the story about Ryan. Ryan is this young girl that she's looking for her missing sister. And the thing is that a lot of people in the area, teenagers, are miss- going missing. And as rumor has it, they're turning into oxen because a bunch of oxen are appearing in the beaches. So it's kind of this fantasy coming of age. Um, I want to ask, first of all, the death metal choice in the music. Can you talk about going with death metal for teenagers? Because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, of, co- of course. Yeah, the, We got this uh, this Brazilian death metal band called Crisium. This, uh, this is a band that I've uh, listened to and I enjoy like, since a long time ago, since the 90s. And when I was writing the screenplay, I think like, we chose death metal to represent like the music that she plays right in, in the film because... It kind of has like this perfect uh, blend of like angst and uh, you know like bleak lyrics, but also at the same time like raw energy and power. It's very intense. I think it was a good way to represent like all the turmoil in this like teenager what she's going through. So it's kind of like a mix of like uh, teenager, you know, uh, uh, hormones and just like raw <laughs> music energy. It's like a lot of yeah. I think that's it has a lot of power to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you're talking about a lot of social commentary on what's going on in Brazil right now. A lot of the challenges they're facing, depression, broken homes, and, and things of such. Why did you think that turning a folklore into a modern-day story was the best way to approach those topics? Yeah, the I, I also do, I do documentaries as well in Brazil. I shoot them, documentaries, but when I talk more like these, like uh, it's intense uh, themes, you know, like it's very... Uh, it's kind of like important themes, but it also like it's something that for me it's uh, it's easier to use with fiction. But I think it's a way like to blend the story and like uh, put out these th- important themes and talk about these stuff. But at the same time, give the audience something to like to wonder off to also like uh, I don't know, like get immersed in a story, but at the same time like absorb all these 
uh, well, like you mentioned, on the, the, it's kind of like uh, the depression and all the, all the stuff. I would love to be able to do documentaries a lot more serious about these things, but I'm just not uh, good enough to do that. I have to like be really strong in the research, and I do try, but still, I think like the way that I found the best to tell these stories is through fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was I I really enjoyed um, the use of different media. And you know, magical Ooh. realism is is, is 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 wonderful. But I found, you know, and, and I think it kind of lends itself toward a project that has music within it to be able to use different media and uh, you know different formats. Talk about that because you know, you can you can kind of tip the scale to where we start we start watching you as a filmmaker and go, oh, see, he's using sixty millimeter now. Oh, he's doing this. But I think you balance it really well where it just works within the story. But talk about how you mapped that out. At the uh, beginning, like at first in the screenplay, we didn't have that idea to mix all these medias. We actually just have like uh, intertitles, just kind of like uh, dividing the different uh, stages in the film. But then while while rehearsing and finding the cast, and there's all these like, very young actors, actresses in the film, and they're like, we were like getting to know more with the, the, their generation and how well uh, <laughs> you have like TikTok and Instagram. I think it, it's 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 impossible to separate one thing from another. Like. Um, mm. We're talking about like their social connections, and then we think I think that's the way we started thinking. Oh, let's all mix these medias. Let's use this to, to to kind of be able to put out there a little bit of how like the the this generation also communicates and socializes. And then we thought it was interesting also to make a to tell the how the the rumor of the oxen and the teenagers disappearing and turning to oxen. How this is something that you can easily like have in the internet. It's like serious news, mm-hmm. but then eventually it just becomes like a TikTok music or something. So, mm-hmm. kind of how the the internet kind of uh, uh, well, it can be informative, but at the same time it can uh, uh, just like destroy like the importance maybe of what what's it uh, informing. You know, can you just talked about the cast? Can you talk about casting this film? I love the mm-hmm. teenagers. They felt very real, and I love the sister, of course. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, we, when we, the, when I was gonna look for the cast, you know, because it's the the character. She's she's a musician. She wants to play music. From the get go, we wanted to get a musician to play her because you can get an actor that he he can learn to play the bass or the guitar easily. And but it's a different relationship, you know, the musician how he holds the instrument. Mm-hmm. It's something that you have to have through the years. So we mm-hmm. thought, okay, so let's get someone that that's really like knows how to handle music. Is a musician. And then we'll do the reverse and <laughs> teach her how to act. But we, we were lucky enough to find Bebe, this, is, uh, this young uh, singer, songwriter, composer, instrument, just like superstar. She started very young, like 10, 9 years old, and mm. she has a band and everything. And we were really lucky because she she just got into acting, like it, it felt very natural for her. So we kind of like found this, we were lucky to find uh, Bebe Salvego, and you should listen to her music as well because it's really good. She does incredible music in Brazil, and then well, we also wanted to give this like uh, this documentary vibe to the film. Mm-hmm. I really, I'm really like a, really like a new realism Italian films, you know, back from the, the from the 60s, 50s, and so we went to uh, after a cast, local cast. So we found all these like teen, uh, they were all these teenagers that are professional actors, but they do like a theater, community theater mm. in, the, in the town where we shot it in Mirchaga. And I guess like it was like more just be yourselves, but we just built this world around them, the, the the story. And I think that well, we were really lucky because everyone felt so natural. They they had never been in front of the camera, but they 
it didn't look like it, you know. It really, I think that we, we were lucky in that sense. And there's also more musicians in the film, also like uh, the Mario, the kid that plays. Uh, mm -hmm. He's also a musician, a young musician <laughs> from Minas Gerais. <laughs> he's from another another uh, another city in some in Brazil. So we actually really did shoot that remotely, you know, through uh, through internet chat. So that's something that I think also helps, you know, to give more to the immerse the uh, the actors and in these characters in these situations, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also wanted to know how you picked the specific place in Brazil to shoot and, and how it added to the story. Yeah, the, well, Bertioga is this small town right near the coast of Sao Paulo, Brazil. And my wife was actually born there. So like in our 19 years together, I've always like made, going to Bertioga. It feels like a second home to me. And I always wanted to shoot something there. It's like a rich, really rich city, like was founded like in the 1500s. So it's there from mm. the beginning, like when Brazil, when Brazil's colonization started. So there's a lot of history there. And it was it was built up more like a fisherman community. We just went growing up from there. Nowadays, it's kind of touristy. So, But mm -hmm. still, it's, it's a very beautiful place. I wanted to shoot something there. And that's when I came upon the, the folklore that really helped to like piece together. Oh, say, I'm going to build this world, this story around in this area, in Berchok, which is kind of this, the shortest kind of this homage you know, to, to the place. you know. Mm -hmm. Well, you did you did them well, and Roberto Rossellini and Victoria De Sica, I'm sure, are smiling down upon you uh, from, from this film. Again, uh, Boy to Conscious is the film short playing at Sundance. We've been talking with director Daniel Barrosa. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Bitch Talk would like to give an extra special shout out to our caviar bitches, Antoinette Tabora, Annie Tabora. Courtney Kita, a.k.a. C-Note, Tim Sika, Sign the Show, and Arabella DeLuco, founder of WeXL.org. We are back on Bitch Talk and FilmsGoneWild.com. My name is John Wildman, the editor-in-chief of Films Gone Wild. With me is Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim from Bitch Talk. We're going to talk about the film Thirsty Girl, and we're going to have the director introduce herself right now. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm Alexandra Chin, and I'm the writer-director of Thirsty Girl, a short film that has been selected for Sundance 2024 and is in short film program, too. Awesome. Uh, Alex, we uh, always have our filmmaker introduce our audience to uh, their film because they haven't seen it as yet. So tell us about Thirsty Girl. Yes, Thirsty Girl is actually my first film. And it's a very personal one. It is a film about two sisters on a road trip across the American South. And one of them, Charlie, is addicted to porn and sex and just kind of trying to hide it from her sister on the road trip. So I tell people it's a short film about sex addiction and sisterhood. The casting was great. Um, I wanted to know, uh, did you have to have some... Uh, specific conversations with the actors about the themes of the film and what were those conversations? Yes, we, it was a, it was tough to cast this film because, you know, not all actors want to do intimate scenes, want to approach this topic, especially in our community of the Asian diaspora. It's um, something that there's a lot of stigma around. And so, you know, I worked with an amazing casting director, Brooke Goldman, who's also our producer. And she said she got way fewer submissions for this casting than other castings, even though we were, 
you know, our fee was like pretty good for a short film because of the nature of the short. And so um, for that reason, I made sure there's no nudity in the film, even though there are intimate scenes. Um, I didn't want to discourage actors from uh, participating in the film because of that. And as well, we worked with an intimacy coordinator who was super experienced and amazing. And I, that was probably like my favorite part of making the film was choreographing the intimate scenes. Um, I mean, actually, there are so many favorite parts, but that was very fun. And uh, yeah, but there are some actors who are really excited about um, broaching this topic, especially, I think it's very, I've spoken to a lot of um, Asian and mixed Asian filmmakers and actors who say that it's very meaningful to have the opportunity to play a role that is not like a stereotypical Asian role. That's not like the best friend or the nerd or the doctor. And so <laughs> some actors are like really excited about roles like this. Um, and I, I'm so proud of the casting. I think, you know, I'm a new director. Um, there are many aspects of filmmaking that are difficult for me and I'm still learning but casting was something that felt very intuitive and as soon as I saw the lead's face in our like Google Drive with all the submissions I was like this is her and she did such a fantastic job it was her first time doing any intimate scenes mm -hmm. her first time driving on camera it was one of her very first roles ever um yeah I feel so blessed to have worked with Samantha Ahn and Claire Dunn who play the sisters yes they carry the film beautifully and I'm so glad you said that because also, oftentimes you'll think of sex addiction as, oh, something men have. So I love seeing a woman in that role. But I was really interested in why you wanted to tell the story of sex addiction through, through a story of sisters. Because the sisterhood part was really important to me, too. Yes. Well, it's a very personal film. It is, you know, in a way, quite autobiographical. I'm a recovering sex addict as well as a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Um, I got really lucky with all the addictions and um, I for my first film I knew I wanted to make a film about sex addiction and actually Thirsty Girl the short film is a proof of concept for the feature length film and I wrote the feature script before shooting the short um, and it was it was really important to me that my first film be about sex addiction because it is the addiction that has been the most painful and the most destructive to my life and the one that carries the most stigma in society. When I was going through the worst of it, I lost like my marriage, my job, my green card, my work visa. I'm French actually, so I'm not, you know, American, so I need, you know, visas and green cards to be here. And I lost my friends, my home, like everything, and I could not understand what I was going through and why I was doing what I was doing and thankfully I found the path to addiction recovery and realized like there's a reason for addiction. Addiction is just like medication for unhealed pain mm -hmm. and sex addiction is real even though a lot of people don't believe it is. Sex and porn addiction are just as real as alcoholism, drug addiction. There are physical withdrawal symptoms and I know so many people who have experienced this and so I wanted to make a film that says this is a real addiction and that doesn't just focus on the depraved aspects of the addiction which is what we've seen from a lot of other films and tv shows that i all love i want but i wanted to make something different i wanted to make something more compassionate more nuanced and that featured that centered the experience of an asian woman because i have never seen that before i've never seen a sex addict character who's an asian woman maybe i'm missing something but at least not like in the western media that i've consumed and um so it was really important for me to tell this story. And the reason that it's a sister story is, well, kind of um, 
like a budgetary reason. I was like, okay, I need to write a film. I want it to be producible. So it's just going to be like two people in a car. That's the story. That'll be cheap, right? I didn't know anything about filmmaking. <laughs> Shooting stuff in cars, not cheap, not easy. Um, and so I was like, okay, who's one of them's a sex addict. Who's the other person? And I thought about the relationships in my life that I wanted to explore. And my sister, my younger sister, Natalie, is the most important person in my life. My addiction recovery journey has brought us so much closer together. We were estranged before and now we're really close. And so that's why I wrote about sisters because I wanted to kind of heal that relationship even more. You know, I, the last part of, of your answer, I'm, I'm really, um, it leads me into the question that I wanted you to talk about, which was also, you know, how, what I, what I love about exactly what you're saying, that, that, that it's not a very, it's not a typical look at addiction, certainly sex addiction, um, which I really appreciated because you can see even within the short concept of, of it coming out of stress relief, of it coming out of, of coping with caretaking and, and things of that nature. Um, so it had a different grounded uh, level than something that was focusing, focusing on the sex of the sex addiction as opposed to that. I would love for you to talk about how you communicated that to your actor, um, you know, because, you know, again, having an intimacy coordinator and going through that process is its own technical thing of, I can put a hand here, I can do this, do you feel okay? And, and it becomes very much a strategy choreography, which can suck for an actor because they also have to act. So talk about how you worked with her to get into that place where, again, it wasn't a lifetime movie, it was actually a very real depiction. Thank you for saying that. I, I'm really proud of the performances of the leads. People say, tell me two, people who love the film tell me two things every time. One, it looks beautiful, and that's thanks to the DP, Fletcher Wolf. Um, and two, the performance of the leads are, are wonderful, and I agree. And so Samantha on she she plays Charlie the lead the sex addict and she is such an intuitive actor she's really not been doing it for very long um and there's something magical that happens with her she's so different in real life but when she steps onto set she steps in front of the camera she just becomes this person who carries so much darkness and pain with behind her eyes it's kind of magical um and it's interesting what you said about the the choreography of it all and how it could get in the way of the acting. I've actually heard the opposite from actors and intimacy coordinators is that the, the safety of feeling, of knowing the steps of the choreography allows for the, yeah. um, the realness and the performance to emerge. And I think everyone was a little nervous about the intimate scene because both actors, um, Tom, the, or David Eves who plays Tom and mm. Samantha on, they had never done an intimate scene before. Um, our intimacy coordinator was, of course, very experienced, but I had never choreographed or directed an intimate scene, but we had so much fun with it. And um, the first time we played the scene together to what we shot was very different. So it was amazing to like figure it out together. Now that you're transitioning it into a feature length, can you talk about the process and how it's so different? Because oftentimes with a short film, it's hard because you don't have as much time to tell the story. So are you finding it more difficult or more easy and for what reasons? Yes. Um, you know, I wrote the feature script first and 
I'm very fortunate because it's my first feature script or my first script of any kind, and it's won a lot of awards, and uh, that's why I ended up making the short film as a proof of concept because I was meeting with producers and people were asking me, who's going to direct, who's going to direct? And the truth is, I wanted to direct. That's why I started writing. I literally Googled, you know, three years ago, how do you become a director? And... <laughs> It was like, go to film school. And I was like, that's expensive and long. And I was like, or do another job in film first, like editing, or DP, acting, writing. And I was like, okay, writing, all I need is a laptop. Let me try that one. And um, so I wrote the feature script first. And so I studied a lot from books. I took, you know, some pretty affordable online classes. So I really, I'm trained, trained, self-taught as a feature screenwriter. And so trend making that into a short was actually very challenging. I took so much time and care to like make a big story where you really explore why these girls are addicts and there's a true journey of like Charlie not at all knowing she's an addict to like realizing it and like the the relationship between the sisters like they start totally estranged and then they like come closer and then they have a huge fight and all of their stuff comes on the table and that stuff's not in the short because we don't have time. And so when I was first recommended to make a short film for a proof of concept for the feature um I was like that's impossible like this <laughs> this story is too big and how could you possibly do a short version and I was like okay let me let me try let me think about it and I got COVID and I had <sighs> nothing to do for three weeks but be in bed and by the end of those three weeks I was like okay I think I have it I think I have the story of the short and it's really just a super condensed version um, with like fewer emotional beats. It's much more restrained. The feature, there's like this whole story arc and it's way funnier also. It's kind of more in the flea bag zone. Um, and it's, uh, it's just much more of, a, of an emotional journey. The, the short is like a taste, a taste of the characters, of the world, and of the vibe. Well, it's, it's really wonderfully accomplished uh, learning on the set director. Uh, it, it is really, really well done. Again, the film is Thirsty Girl, uh, short screening at Sundance. We've been talking to Alex. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. And as a, as a real bitch, I'm so happy to be on a Bitch Talk podcast. Thanks for joining us on today's show. You can find more information about this episode in our show notes. If you're missing us, you can visit us at bitchtalkpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and buy us a cup of coffee. Did you know we're also on the radio? You can find us at bff.fm. And lastly, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All the cool bitches are doing it. This podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.